I wake to a world with more questions than answers, where dissonant voices ignite division, my heart will stand firm in this decision. I choose thankful. Though I walk through a landscape that is uncharted and foreign, where the once familiar seems lost and forgotten, I will remember that nothing is unexpected to my Father in heaven, and I choose thankful. Though I live each day uncertain of tomorrow, I will accept that tomorrow was never certain and cherish every chance to witness the wonder of creation. I choose thankful. I choose faith in what is unseen, hope for a future beyond the adversity, love spoken despite animosity. I choose to believe. Though the struggles I face may be painful, though it sometimes seems impossible, though I fall a thousand times covered in the dust of failure, I am able to rise. Not because I am strong, not because life is perfect, but because in all circumstances, Jesus lives. When this world stands perplexed, and demands I give a reason for the hope that I have, I can only say that in Jesus' name, I choose thankful. It's not a simple choice, it's not an easy choice, but it is the only choice that brings calm in the storm. Not by my power, but through the strength of Christ alone, I choose thankful. Join the one that never 
Lord, thank you. You are alive and you bring us life. Lord, we thank you so much for this uh, Thanksgiving uh, weekend, for, for preceding Thanksgiving, Lord, that, that we can uh, just come together and offer you thanks, uh, offer you the greatest, deepest gratitude that we have to offer because of what you have done for us, the redemption through your blood. Lord, we just thank you and praise you. Help us to worship you in spirit and truth today, Lord, which is obviously your will for us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Please be seated. And uh, maybe let me call your attention to this white card. It's called a uh, connection card. And so please uh, fill that out. Maybe you're a first or second time guest. We'd love to know who you are and that you're worshiping with us today. Maybe you've been with us for many, many years and uh, you you want us to know about a prayer request or something. And on the back there, you can do that. Also on the back, bottom half of the card, uh, ask questions about what does it mean to be baptized? What does it mean to have a relationship with Christ? We'd be happy to reach out to you and answer all those questions. So please uh, fill that out. Put that in the offering plate as you leave today, all right? Hey, today, uh, I'm excited about worship today because... It's, it's a perfect convergence of, of text and season. Uh, we're, we're right on the precipice of, uh, precipice of saying a thank you to God. Amen. And, and the number one reason, now the number one reason most of us say, oh, I'm thankful for family. That's a great reason. Amen. But the number one reason is I'm thankful for the great gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Amen. And so that's what we're going to celebrate today and give God thanks for. second verse for you just a minute, okay? We all need to come to the point where we are like the man hanging on the cross beside Jesus, where we are saying, Lord Jesus, without your help, I will perish. There may I, though vile as he, and we are folks, amen, wash all our sins away. Let's sing this together. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I go vile as he wash all my sins away. Wash all my sins away. Wash all sins away, and there may I, the violence, wash all my sins away, ere since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply, 
Oh. 
season of prayer today will just simply revolve around Thanksgiving. And as I said earlier, let's let that focus be singularly on the number one point of Thanksgiving, and that is, thank you, Lord Jesus, for such a great redemption, a great salvation. in singing these words to our Lord for all that you've done I will thank you Thank you. 
Ladies Ensemble, to come and share this beautiful truth with us that we serve a wonderful, merciful Savior. Always hunger for 
Well, praise the Lord. Wonderful music. Appreciate you ladies sharing and all the songs that fit so wonderfully with the text today. Today we're going to talk about worthy of blessing and honor. Remember trying to keep the sea in the forest for the trees and the trees for the forest. We want to make sure that we stand at the base of these incredible sequoias and we look at them, but at the same time we keep our focus on the big picture as well, and we are moving right along through Ephesians chapter 1, right? Briskly, getting through Ephesians 1. Uh, the psalmist in Psalm 116, 12 through 13, asked this question, what shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits? That's a good thing to ask at Thanksgiving, isn't it? What shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits? And the psalmist will give an answer. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Now, I don't know what you think thus far through Ephesians 1, but I think we have been lifting up the cup of salvation. And I think that it is very important that we... Drink deeply from this cup of salvation. It's so vitally important. Our response to our salvation, the fact that we are in Christ, should bring forth from us praise and wonder and adoration and satisfaction and appreciation and thanksgiving. So this is an incredible symphony of theological material. It's amazing. But today we're going to move from the orphanage of which we have been adopted from, right? We discussed that. And we're going to move to the slave market of sin of which you have been redeemed from. So we're moving from adoption to redemption. How far have we come so far? Well, the Bible says in verse 3 that we should bless God for every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places that are in Christ Jesus. And then numeral uno, number one, the primary in this text that drives the entire narrative, it is the finite verb, he chose us. Subject, verb, direct object. Can't get any clearer, right? You know this in English. He chose us. And then what we've learned is this. We need to praise God for choosing us. And then the text enumerates what that looks like. He chose us in Christ. He chose us before the foundation of the world, right? He chose us to be holy and blameless before him. He adopted us in love. He did it according to the purpose of grace. And then he did it for the purpose that his grace would be glorified through the ends of the earth. Which is the ultimate reason for your salvation. God saved you for his glory. So we praise God for choosing us. Now, some of you are happy that we're going to put that one to bed, right? But now we're going to move to praise God for redeeming us. And that's verses 7 through 10, and that's in your bulletin. But here's the good news for some of you. We're only going to hit Roman numeral 1 today in that outline. So it'll take two Sundays. I pray that I can finish uh, down through verse 10 by next week. And then when we start into the new year, um, and start into December, we'll do the Advent candle, which I'll be preaching on uh, incarnation-type passages. And then at the new year, we'll start back in Ephesians 
chapter 1, and we'll pick up in verse 11, which is, again, praise God for choosing us, praise God for redeeming us. Then we're going to go to praise God for giving us an inheritance. Aren't you thankful for that? And then finally, praise God for sealing us. And then we'll finish verse 14, right? And move on in our text. But for today, we want to talk about that grand theme of redemption. Look at the text. Verse 7. In Him we have redemption. Through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Let that sink into your mind, wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Praise God for redeeming us. And the first point, God redeemed us through the blood of Christ. Now, Let's tackle this text by asking a series of questions that I would like to talk about. The first one is, what is redemption? I mean, if you're a Christian, that's a pretty important statement, right? Or question, what is redemption? Well, I want to remind you that that term has a massive semantic range in the Bible. The word used here, apolutrosin, is the word redemption. And in the lexicon, it means to buy back a slave and to make him free by payment of a ransom. That is the literal definition. Now, a lot of commentators argue that this actually should not be translated redemption, but it really ought to be translated ransom. Okay, because in other places it is. Now, the question is, do we have any redemptive language in the Old Testament? Because you know me well enough to know that I'm going to bring that up because... In the, in the old, you have the new concealed, and in the new, you have the old revealed. And you can't translate the New Testament apart from the old. Amen? Because Christ is the story of the Old Testament. We know this, okay? So, if you're familiar with the law of Moses, you will recall that you could ransom or redeem property. And you could bring back someone into your family. You could actually voluntarily sell yourself as a slave. But you also had the right to buy yourself back and your freedom in the law of Moses. You could redeem yourself or you could redeem a relative. In the Old Testament, we will know and you should know that this particular concept of redeeming a slave or property was a very, very common theme. Now, if you start to think outside of the Pentateuch, which is what? The law of Moses first five books of the Bible, if you start thinking outside of that, do we have this concept of redemption anywhere else in the Bible or redeeming? Well, I hope you will remember that when the COVID thing hit us, I preached through the book of Ruth. And you, I think all of those were online. No, we were not gathering here. And we had a few people in here with a, with a camera and uh, four or five of us leading music. And, and that was it. But we learned from Ruth that it extols a certain part of God's redeeming grace. And what's that called? It's called the kinsman redeemer. And that nearest kinsman relative could buy back a, a, a particular property, but then at the same time he would be able to inherit the right to leverage marriage. He would be able to marry uh, the person. 
uh, the lady. So did you know that out of all of what we've just said about redemption, there is one ultimate image of redemption by which all other redemptive thoughts come from and through in the Old Testament. Do you guys know what it, it is? So if you want to make your way to the Exodus, so I've just told you, right? Look at chapter 6 of the book of Exodus, verse 6. This is the quintessential. This, we could say it capitalized, the central act of redemption in the entire Old Testament. Listen to the Bible, Exodus 6, 6. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So the Old Testament act of redemption is the exodus. It is the release of the children of Israel from the house of bondage. Flip over, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Just want you to see this clearly. How many times it's fo the focus is upon this act of redemption. Chapter 7, verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people from his treasured possession. For his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people. That the Lord has set his love on you or chose you. For you are the fewest of people. But it is because the Lord loves you. And is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. That the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand. And redeemed you from the house of slavery. Now. Do y'all see elements of redemption clearly given to us in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 7, beginning in verse 6? What elements do you see? You see the driving force of the love of God. Does that sound like John 3.16? In this manner, God loved. So here is love, one element. Here is covenant faithfulness. And God is going to keep his oath. I've made a promise to Abraham so here are the aspects of redemption. Love, covenant faithfulness, keeping an oath. We see the Lord demonstrating his might, his power to redeem his people out of the house of bondage. Look with me in Deuteronomy chapter 9. Once again, here's what the scripture says. Write it down if you don't get there before I start reading. Verse 26. And I pray to the Lord, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your heritage whom you have redeemed through your greatness. Whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And then Psalm 74 verse 2. Psalm 74 verse 2. Remember your congregation which you have, listen, purchased of old. Which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your heritage. Do you see it? Notice clearly that he has redeemed and he has purchased a people. So the idea of redemption, is it clearly woven into the Old Testament? Into the wolf and fabric? Absolutely. It all focuses on the fountainhead of God redeeming his people from Egyptian bondage. So the idea of redemption, paying a ransom price, is carried right into the New Testament. There are a lot of different terms used for redemption. 
But the reality of redemption is clearly carried over with vitality into the New Testament. Allow me to show you. Y'all ready for Bible drill again? Mark chapter 10 verse 45 is the classic. And if you ever have been a part of Bible drill, then you learned this verse. Right? Mark 10 45. I'm not sure they still ask you to do that. But when I was doing Bible drill, you did. Mark 10 45. Listen to the word of the Lord. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. What a verse. Romans chapter 3, verse 24. The Bible is its best commentary. Romans chapter 3, verse 24. Listen to the word of the Lord. And you are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. 1 Corinthians. As one old preacher would say, this one here is a stem winder. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Does this not speak so clearly of who we are in Christ? Beginning in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought. There it is. Ransomed with a price. So therefore glorify God with your body. And one more, that's the next door neighbor to Ephesians. Just look to your left and you'll have Galatians. And here's what the Bible says in Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, where is this written? Deuteronomy 18, 18. Cursed is everyone who is hanged upon a tree. So the New Testament redemption runs in deepening strands. It's multicolored. And it's all throughout. So the Exodus was a picture or a type. Y'all do realize that even that Exodus in the Old Testament was a picture or a type Even for the Israelites redeemed that day, it's a picture of actually God redeeming their souls. It's a a picture of ultimate redemption. So what is absolutely clear as you come over to the New Testament is that redemption finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what's clear from the Bible. It is through His redeeming work that we are justified. We have been bought with a price he's redeemed us Galatians 3 from the curse of the law so the redeemed and the bought back and the purchase language comes to us over and over and over again in the New Testament in our text the force is something like this in him we possess the ransom price you know what I am blessed to do what I do Do you realize that I have to pinch myself ever so often so that I just remind myself that I actually live. You guys allow me to live financially so that I can preach the word. Y'all know that? Now, pastorally, there are times I would sell you this job for five cents. (laughs) And I'd even give you three cents in return. So you know what that means? It ain't worth two cents sometimes. But let me just tell you. To be able to stand up here today and to tell you that we possess 
the ransom price is the most glorious thing that I can ever tell you, that I could ever, ever, ever tell you, that you possess the ransom price. Now, we ask the question, what is redemption? Let's ask the second question. How does this redemption come? Well, it comes through him. It comes through Christ. Notice verse 7. In him we have redemption. Who's the him? Jesus. All right, verse 10. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in who? Him. So grammatically, that's called an inclusio. You got brackets. It's in him in verse 7. And it's through him and in him and for him and all things in verse 10. Folks, there's no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. There's no ransom, no redemption apart from Jesus. So it comes from him. Jesus Christ is the redeemer who has redeemed us. Jesus Christ paid the ransom for our liberty. Now, third question, what are we redeemed from? Good question, right? Uh, Make your way over to John's gospel. John chapter 8. Jesus is conversing with his disciples. And uh, the Pharisees want to throw in a little question there. And Jesus is dealing with them, what are redeemed from. So Jesus will say this to the Pharisees regarding this reality in John 8. Listen to what the Bible says, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham. Well, goody, goody for you. And we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Isn't this unbelievable? That these people are going to sit here and say they haven't ever been enslaved to man, and they are at that moment to the Romans. You remember when we studied uh, Daniel uh, before the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medes and Persians, the Greeks, and now the Romans, right? But here's the important thing. Verse 34, Jesus answered them saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. Now, contrast here. If you're a slave to sin in regard to the scripture, then you're lost. But if you're a son, you're in the house forever. Now, it's not my goal to preach that particular part, but what I do want to remind you of, why the need for redemption if you've never been enslaved? Why do you need liberty when you are already a free man or woman? Well, that's kind of the question that that they're posing to Jesus in a pharisaical way. The Bible tells us that our condition is much, much different than just being enslaved to a person, well, to a civilization, or to a man. It is, however, not the cruel captivity of the Romans, the Assyrians. It is the cruel captivity of a taskmaster that is far worse than any Babylonian rule. It is far worse a master than any human being could have ever imagined. It is the taskmaster master of sin and Satan. Folks, that's why you need a ransom. Because we're enslaved to sin and to Satan. Now, you may not ever have been enslaved to a human being. But I tell you, on the authority of the scriptures, that you're born into this world as a slave to sin and as a slave to the devil. The fact that we need redemption and and ransom assumes slavery. No need to put the word redeemed in there if we're not assuming 
that were enslaved. So Jesus makes this disturbing statement to the Pharisees about their freedom. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Why couldn't Jesus not have been a little nicer here? Why could he have not said, he who commits sin has various psychological dysfunctions? That sounds more progressive, doesn't it, for our day? You know, why is it placed in such stark, offensive terms? Whoever commits sin is a bond servant to sin. Roman sin actually brings it up higher and says that slavery is unto righteousness. And in the end, it is unto death. This is an ugly picture. At one time, Paul says we're enslaved to various lusts, hating and being hated. The picture is ugly. The Bible tells us that there is a slavery and it is unto sin. Now, if you think that before Christ, you are not in bondage to sin, then I'll just give you the liberty challenge. Y'all ready for it? Just stop sinning. Just go ahead and pick your three conscious nagging sins and just stop them at this moment, right when I said it. Since you're not enslaved today, just stop. Let's do a record count of this in a few days and let's see how you're doing. Right? Even as a believer, you're prone to wonder and you feel it. Do you know that being enslaved to sin affects every faculty of your makeup? We do what, we, what sin drives us to do. We are so given over to it that it pleases, what pleases sin actually pleases us. You think about it for a moment. This is heightened by the fact that in this condition, you are in a co-op with the deceiver, Satan himself. Why do you need redemption? Why do you need the ransom paid? It's because of the bondage of sin. Have you ever wondered why this thing up here does what it does? Are y'all listening? Have you ever wondered why this thing up here, this, that slushy thing up in there, some of us is a little bigger, some of us smaller, some of us shrinking, you know, some of us it doesn't work all the time, right? Why does it do the things that it does? If you're in such control without bondage, just start thinking godly, truly, lovely thoughts all the time without any kind of bondage, right? Forget it. Our minds are the slaves to sin. Shall I ask the parents how your children act? Forget it! We know, don't we? It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. You don't have to tell baby Ajax to go ahead and write on the wall. They're going to do it. They're going to do what the mind leads them to do. I want to remind you that our minds are slaves to sin without Christ. But your will is also a slave to sin without Christ. We have an idol in our midst, and it's the idol of free will. And some of you will defend that idol to your very death. But I will go to whatever extreme I must do to protect my free will. Well, the idol of free will is a myth. It is nowhere in the Word of God. Period. You say, well, how am I saved? Well, I don't know. Here's what I do know. God changed my wanter. That's not good grammar, but that's the truth. He conditioned, he didn't save me against my will, but the God of eternity drew me into himself and conditioned this will so that I would receive him. But folks, you're, if you're enslaved to sin, your will is enslaved or it is not. That, and actually, if that's the truth, then you're closer to Jesus Christ in your own state before Christ than you are Adolf Hitler. Folks, listen to me, your will is enslaved. Your mind and your will without Christ. And catch this. 
Your affections are enslaved without Christ. Why do we sin? Because we like it. Amen? Talk to me. You, Sam Cathy, you should wave that little finger and say, you know why we sin, you good-for-nothing sinners? It's because we like it. And we do. Your mind, the will, the affections are enslaved. The disturbing thing about this slavery gig is we like it. Our affections are slaves to sin. Thomas Boston was a great Puritan writer. Here's what he said. Check this out. The natural man's affections are wretchedly misplaced. Now, what is a natural man? That's a lost person. Now, I know the Bible addresses natural, carnal, spiritual. But a natural man, the Bible says, cannot discern the things of God. For it is impossible. That's what the Bible says. So the natural man's affections are wretchedly misplaced. He's a spiritual monster. His heart is where his feet should be, fixed on the earth. His heels are lifted up against heaven where his heart should be set. His face is toward hell and his back is toward heaven. God calls him to turn and he loves what he should hate and he hates what he should love. He joys in what he ought to mourn for and he mourns for what he ought to rejoice for. He glories in his shame and he is ashamed of his glory. He abhors what he should desire and he desires what he should abhor. Folks, that's a terrible slavery. It's a cruel and destructive bondage. But the Bible says not only are you enslaved to sin, but you're also enslaved to Satan. Now, I guess that is an affront to our dignified sense of self-worth in our day. To tell people that without Christ, you are of your father the devil. But I don't have to say that. Jesus did. There's only two categories of people in this world. There's no neutral. You're either of your father the devil, or you are saved and belong to God our Father. There is no other classification. Folks, why do you need to be redeemed? Because you're enslaved to sin and you are owned by a miserable, mean, lying taskmaster. And that's the way you come into this world. What did Jesus say to the Pharisees? You are of your father, the devil. And we're reminded in 2 Timothy, unless you might say, well, I think I'm good because I wasn't a Pharisee. Well, let me just remind you of your condition as well, all of us without Christ. Chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance. Who grants repentance? Hmm. I thought we were totally responsible for repenting ourselves without any help God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil folks the Bible is clear that we're not only enslaved to sin but we're enslaved to Satan you realize when you're saved Colossians 1 says that you're translated from the kingdom of darkness folks and you're translated into his marvelous light. You're translated from the kingdom and domain of Satan. And you're translated to the kingdom and domain of the king. The Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Boston wrote a book once called Human Nature and Its Fourfold State. And he said, sin and Satan have two types of servants. This is amazing. He says, one group of his slaves are employed in what we would call a coarser work study. They're absolutely irreligious, 
And the devil's mark is on their foreheads, and they only attend to earthly things all the time. Have we ever seen any of those on TV? Have you been around people like this? That it is clear cut with a mark on their forehead that they're hell bent on doing whatever they possibly can against the knowledge and will of God. Right? We see this. But notice this. There's another group and they're employed in a more refined way of service to sin and the devil. They carry the devil's mark in their right hand and hide their identity from the eyes of the world. These are hypocrites who sacrifice as much to a corrupt mind as others, but these are, the, these are ruined by a more secret trade of sin. Pride, unbelief, self-seeking. And here's his, here's his response. Both serve in the same house. Both of those groups of people belong to the enemy. Both are far from righteousness. Folks, we must all be redeemed. The ransom price must be paid for our soul's liberty. Now, here we get to another really, really good question. How are we redeemed? The passage tells us, in him we have redemption. Say it, through his blood. Does that make you squeamish? Does that make you recoil as a uh, uh, 2020 American? Does that make you kind of think, well, I I don't really like this talk about the blood. It's antiquated. It's outdated. It's old. Slaughterhouse religion to talk about blood. That's all my grandma ever talked about, right? Was the blood that needed to be applied. There is a fountain filled with blood. Does it make you squeamish? Uneasy to sing a song like there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood and lose all their guilt and shame. I want to remind you that if there's no blood... There's no redemption. Without the shedding of blood, there is no redemption. The world can say what it wants to say and have what its desire is. The world can try to make Christianity more sophisticated by taking out the blood. But I want to remind you, but if you take the blood out, there is no Christianity. Without the blood of Christ and that sacrifice, there is no salvation. So, question, what are we talking about when we say the blood of Jesus? Isn't it good to be educated at the Baptist? What do we mean? Well, it's a word picture in the New Testament. It's speaking of Christ's death, but it's not speaking of an ordinary death. He's not talking about the simple expiration that Jesus expired and died. He's referencing the sacrificial shedding of blood. It had to be a blood sacrifice. All of the Old Testament sacrifices was a sheep with a knife to the throat. Y'all do realize that, right? It was extremely bloody. So the blood of Christ is a word picture for the sacrificial death of Christ upon Calvary's tree. Allow me to show you 1 Peter. Some of my favorite verses. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed. There's our word. To buy back a slave by the purchase of a price. To take into yourself... Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your fathers, not with the perishable things of gold and silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Do I have to convince you that the sacrificial atoning death of Christ was absolutely necessary? The ransom had to be paid. You are a slave without Christ to sin and Satan. And a ransom must be paid. Question, to whom is the ransom paid? 
Are y'all having fun like I am? I mean, I'm having fun, right? I'm about to preach myself happy. No, seriously, to whom is the ransom paid? Years and years ago, a theologian wrote a work called Ransom to Satan Theory. And his theory was that the ransom that Jesus paid was to the devil. I believe that man was of the devil. As one commentator said, Satan had nothing to do with this because he's already a criminal himself. He's in jail. He's on a leash. And it's not long before neck-popping time. Right? Who is the ransom paid to? If Jesus pays the ransom price for our liberation through his blood, to whom is it paid? Well, he pays the ransom to the holy justice of God. Christ dies for God. Folks, have you ever stopped to contemplate the price that was paid for you to be saved? If you do, you won't come in here like gloomy Gus. With your lips shut and your chin up and your pride out. Absolutely not. You will come in here with a grateful heart that God Almighty would sacrifice to save your soul. That's why we sing. That's why we praise God. That's why David said, what will I render to God for all his benefits? I will lift up the cup of my salvation. Oh, that should be our response. Think about this. God required a perfect sacrifice, and God supplied the perfect sacrifice through his own son. That's the only way it's possible. So God's justice demanded a ransom. And God paid the ransom himself through his own son. God in Christ saves you from God. Let that sink into your mind. That's the glory of salvation. God saved. God in Christ saves you from God. Do you remember when an old man took his son up to a mountain? Hmm. And he took with him a scrappy young boy. 13, 16, maybe. Most commentators believe surely he could have overtaken the old man if he wanted to. But do you remember? Do you know what Isaac says to his father Abraham? Lord, I see the... Father Abraham, I see the wood and I see the fire, but where is the sacrifice? And then good old Abraham spoke better than he knew. And he says, the Lord will provide himself a lamb. All folks, you do understand that that's redemption. God can't compromise his justice and he cannot compromise his holiness. He can never just sweep. His holiness and his justice under the rug. He cannot do it. Why? Because God is bound to his nature. God's justice and holiness are the very foundation of the earth. If God ceases to be just and ceases to be holy, the world will not exist. It's the ground of all things. He can't compromise. Instead, the holy God from all eternity who existed in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has a plan from the foundation of the world to redeem sinners. So in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Born of a virgin, born under the law. That he might redeem. Y'all know the Bible. Speak up. That he might redeem us from the curse of the law. Purchase us by paying a price. God's justice and holiness demanded it. And he sends his son to fulfill the requirements of his own justice. Who killed Jesus? Peter says in the sermon, You Israelites, you Jews, you nailed him to the cross. 
And then he says this. But you did whatever the Holy Father willed from the beginning to be done to the Son. Who killed Jesus? God the Father. God in Christ Jesus paid a ransom to God in order to save your soul. That's the gospel. That's the only Christianity the Bible knows. That's the gospel given to us. What is it to be redeemed through the blood of Christ? Well, it's liberation from the dominion of sin. Think about that. Liberation from the dominion of sin. So you know what it is to be liberated from the rule of sin. Do you all realize that? If you're saved, the Bible says the old man is crucified that the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. You all want me to say that again? Yes. The old man is crucified that the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. So when you are saved... You have changed masters. You no longer have the rule of life on you of unrighteousness and sin. The rule over you is righteousness. Your master is Jesus Christ. Tom Wells says it like this. Think of sin as a king that has been thrown from his throne. He now carries on guerrilla warfare. You might know how that feels. Do you know how that feels once you have trusted Christ and the rule of your life is Christ and righteousness? But yet, the enemy carries on guerrilla warfare. He no longer controls the territory, but he is still able to make raids upon it. Sin no longer controls the heart of the believer, but it is still there causing him to stumble. Righteousness now rules his heart and sets him back up on his feet. Don't y'all like that? The blows come, the temptations come, but if you're redeemed and you're in Christ, it's the righteousness of God that sets you back up on your feet. Man, that's good preaching. It is. You know this if you're saved. You know how this works. His new master will not allow him to lie in his, in his sin, wallowing in it. Will he? No, he won't. God is in control of your heart. You've been redeemed from the slavery of sin. Death is the price for your freedom. Now, not a person here is sinless perfected. If you say you are, then you're a liar and you're no longer perfect. Right? Right? But do you know what it is like to be liberated from the dominion of sin and sin no longer have master over you? What does it mean to be redeemed? Sin no longer is the master. But it also means that Satan is no longer your master. For you are freed from sin and you are enslaved to Christ. And if you're in Christ, the devil is no longer your master. You don't work for him anymore. He's not your master anymore. If you are in Christ and you're a Christian, Jesus Christ is your only king. Hallelujah. Not the devil. I want to remind you that this redemption is comprehensive. Do you know that God's going to take that body that you're in right now and resurrect it one day? Do y'all know that? The Lord shall ascend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 that perishable cannot inherit imperishable. Even if you're alive at the coming of Christ, you will be changed. You will not go to heaven in this skin. Because this corruption cannot inherit incorruption. But we shall all be changed in the twinkling of an eye. So God even has a plan for your body. So redemption is absolutely comprehensive and full and final in Christ. So, final result. Let me move on because time is getting by. What does the scripture say? In him we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. There's a term called opposition. 
So here is redemption and forgiveness, and they're at opposition to not oppo, O-P, but A-P. They're, in other words, they're the same side, they're two sides of the same coin. Redemption equals forgiveness of sin. Folks, you understand if you're redeemed, you're forgiven by God? Wow, that's good stuff. So the scripture says trespass. And this is the only time that Paul uses that word redemption in concert with trespass. What does it mean to trespass? Well, first, forgiveness means to counsel a debt. It means to pardon. It means to remit. And then the word trespass is the idea of, a, of stepping over a boundary. So to trespass is to step over the boundary where God has drawn the line. Anybody ever done that before? And this text says that your sins are removed. Your transgressions are forgiven. You know what that technical term is? It's called expiated. They're covered. Propitiation and expiation. Covered and removed. Does anybody know an illustration of this? In the Old Testament, on the Day of Atonement, there were two goats. I didn't say two Baptists, but two goats. The high priest would lay his hands upon the head of the one goat, and he would pray and confess the sins of the people, and then that particular goat would get the knife to the throat. And that shedding of blood would pay for the sins of the people. But there was a second goat. What was it called? The scapegoat. And the high priest would go over, and he would lay his hands on the head of that goat, And he would pray and confess the sins of the people. And he would take that goat outside the city and release him out into the wilderness. So sins are paid for and the sins are taken away. Woo! If you're saved today, he's paid for it. And he's taken them away. Think about this for a moment. Whom God redeems, he forgives. He cancels our debts. He forgives us thoroughly and completely. And you say, what about my sins in the future if I'm saved? All your sins were in the future when Jesus died for you on Calvary. Wake up. All of your sins were in the future. So he died and paid the penalty for past, present, and future sins. All your sin has been paid for. And some people say, well, that's an excuse for me to go out and sin all I want to. Not if you belong to Jesus. Because he's going to whip the fire out of you. Hebrews chapter 12. Second, I don't really think you know the Lord if you think you have a license to sin. Right? But folks, either he has forgiven you of all your sin or he has not. Don't you love the Apostles' Creed? It's a very short line, but it's so great. Here it is. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. I hope you believe that. God promises to cast our sins in the Bible as far as the east is from the west. In the New Testament, in the New Covenant, he promises to remember our sins no more. And then Micah 7 says that he will tread our iniquities under his feet and he will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. Is there anything greater than to hear the pardoning voice of Almighty God say, your sins are forgiven? Do you understand what it took for the Son of God to do that? In this manner, God loved the world that he gave. Right there in, the, in, the, in, in John 3.16 is the cause. In this manner, God loved. But there's a cost that he gave. Well, there's a condition that whoever believes. And there's an ultimate consequence. 
To die without Jesus, there's a huge danger. And this is true and real as your nose on your face. We will spend eternity in hell. But the glorious consequences is that if you trust Christ and believe the gospel, you will not perish. But you will have eternal life. I want to remind you today, if you are living under a conscience, the burden of a holy indictment from God that you're still in your sin and they haven't been paid for, I want you to know something this morning. We have a Redeemer. I want you to know that Jesus Christ, the righteous, can save anybody, anywhere, anytime. We have a Redeemer. Plead for His mercy, for He shows mercy to the brokenhearted, and He shows mercy to the penitent sinner. If you have your conscience lifted from the guilt, if you, have, if you, you can have your conscience lifted from the guilt of sin, and you can be washed and cleansed. Don't you love the song? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You can be redeemed, and you can also go home with a new master. And you can become a slave of righteousness instead of a slave of unrighteousness. You can be delivered from the devil. And you can become a child of a benevolent king, the greatest king in all the world. I love the song, Jesus, Friend of Sinners. I like that, don't you? Jesus, I do now receive him more than all in him I find. Listen. He hath granted me forgiveness. He is mine and I am his. You know the song? Sing it, David. Hallelujah, what Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping. Have you been saved, ransomed, redeemed? Turn to Jesus only and you will find salvation. You can become a slave to the king today. Change your task, master, and belong to Jesus. Let's sing a couple of verses of this song. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Jesus may fail me. Assail me, he my savior makes me whole. Hallelujah, what a savior! Hallelujah, what a friend! Saving, helping, keeping, loving, he is with me to the end. I'm glad we don't have any rocks in here. Because if we did, they'd be crying out in your place. Folks, to sing a song like this is pathetic. I'm just telling you like it is. If Jesus ransoming your soul cannot move your affections, you have no help. You have no hope. Right? Now, if I have to sit up here and plead with you, David said this. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And he had to preach a sermon to himself. And all that is within me, bless the Lord. Folks, we can do better than that. Now, in response to this fifth verse, is that right? Verse number five. Would you please sing Hallelujah, What a Savior? Just so I'll go home and feel better about you. All right. Jesus, I do now receive.
receive him more than all in him i find he hath granted me forgiveness i am I love y'all. I feel a lot better about y'all now. Amen. All right. God is good. Look, I remind you all the time, if, if Paul could call the Corinthians saints, then there's help for you, right? There's hope for all of us if they can be called saints. Um, we want to make sure. We might have forgot in the first service. <laughs> you did? I <laughs> did. Let's pray over the shoebox ministry, all right? And uh, Blake, how many did we end up with? 4,700,000. Oh, come on now. Uh, about 1,200 plus. Amen. Yeah, Amen. Super. I, uh, I have to tell you, last year, you know, our, our goal was, I think, 250. And when I, I left and they came back and said, our goal next year is 1,000, I went, whatever. So I'm not going to let you tell you what the goal is for next year because we're not set it. Anyway, but these uh, boxes, they're simple, but they go out. And uh, what's, what's so special about the boxes is for the kids to get the box, they get to hear the gospel. And that's what it's all about. It's not about the stuff inside, but it's amazing if you read on the Samaritan's Purse um, testimonies, the right box goes to the right kid. And so uh, it's just an amazing thing how that works. So I'm going to pray. And um, then you have an announcement after that, David? Okay. Uh, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for uh, the Samaritan's Purse and their ministry, God. Uh, we thank you for the folks who... Um, took time to make these boxes, but it's not about the box, it's about the gospel. And Father God, as these boxes go out all over the world, may you connect them with the right kid that needs to, to get the parts that's inside, but they get to hear the gospel, and may, may these children make professions of faith and become followers of you. So God, we thank you for just a, a simple tool of a box that can go out and draw people to you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.